Well, how about school? Everybody get started in school okay this week? Some of you are like, I finished school a long time ago. Well, that's one of the reasons that we have Promotion Sunday on this particular Sunday opportunity for us to recognize what's going on in the schools. And for some of you to promote in Sunday school, when's the last time some of you promoted? Like a long time ago. But mainly for our kids uh, to be promoted up and be reminded for all of us as adults, we never promote out of Sunday school until we go to heaven because we learn and experience with God. But we do want to pray for those who are involved in schools. We have teachers, we have uh, students, we have parents, we have administrators, we have faculty. Uh, there's a lot going on. And uh, all of you that got started in school, I hope it was a good week. Some of you as parents said goodbye to your kiddos as they went off to college and now you're empty nesters and you are feeling the loss. We want to pray for you. So let's just take a moment to recognize those of you that are involved in the educational process, whether you're a teacher, a parent, a faculty member, administrator, whatever your role might be. Would you just stand up for a second? Everybody that's involved in the educational process in some level. And we want to thank you for what you do in doing all of that. Go to public schools, private schools, some of we want to pray for all of you together. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to learn, the fact that you have created us, not only with a capacity, but a, a yearning to learn, and to know that your word tells us the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning point of knowledge. It's the beginning point of wisdom. So we pray for all of those that are involved in the educational process. Thank you for the investment that they are making. Pray that it would be a good year, a good academic year, in which there is a lot of discourse and conversation and learning. And every step we take more points us like an arrow to you. There is so much to learn and everything is a reminder of who you are. So may your favor and blessing be upon all of those in the educational process. Lord, help those parents that are dealing with uh, just the sadness of their student going off to college and dealing uh, with that empty them and allow this to be a rich season of life. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we uh, sent two kids through school and you do live through it. It can, can be a good experience. You just buy a couple houses that you never live in as part of the process. Some of you wonder the world around us, you see things every day in the headlines and all of the crises around the world. Uh, most recently, lots of eyes have been out in Maui. Uh, just to know that as you give to this church, there are people over there ministering in Maui under the name of Texas Baptist even now. And so you might not know that. You might say, what can we do? Well, as you regularly give to this church, a portion of that goes for all of these crises that you see everywhere. Uh, there's a good possibility we'll see flooding in California, and Texas Baptist will be there as well. So thank you all for your generosity. And last week, we opened up uh, this, the new year with this card talking about just what we are as a church, what we need to be focusing on as a reminder, and I hope that you're keeping that close by so that you can reference it often because it kind of keeps us on track of what God wants us to be as a church. If you weren't here last week, pastors already probably gave it to someone else so that they could have a better understanding of the church. Some of these are out in the atrium and you can pick them up afterwards. Oh, and did I say that our daughter is pregnant with our first grandson? I don't So, Michelle and I had a difficult time with two. I can't imagine they're planning for five, but hey, uh, we will take it as grandparents, due in February. 
Well, we've all had those times where we either overheard something that was more interesting than the conversation we were in, and we began to eavesdrop on the other conversation to listen in. It's like the lady who was known to gossip who told her good friend, say anything about anybody unless it's good. And girl, this is good. <laughs> At other times, we have watched people we wish that we could listen in on the conversation. We could hear coaches and players on television as they, they begin to talk to each other and they, they cover their mouth with their hands or their baseball glove or, or the, the game plan notes. And we wish that we could listen in. Well, I had the opportunity in at game five of the 2017 World Unique stroke of fate, luck, and good friendship, Mark McIsaac invited me to be a guest at game five of the World Series over at Minute Maid Park. I went with his son Jack and his father-in-law, Will. It was an amazing game. It took two days. It went from October 30th. Game five, 2017 long it lasted five hours 17 series it was crazy loud as the teams kept swapping the lead in fact it was so loud you could barely hear the trash can. <laughs> it had all kinds of drama and i was sitting right next to the aspect of the game and he knew exactly what was going on because he had played professional. As I sat there, I eavesdropped on his knowledge, and it made that amazing, amazing. First and Second Timothy, our new gives us the opportunity to eavesdrop on godly counsel. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's giving him guidance in a wide variety of experiences in life, both in the church and in personal life. Paul is telling Timothy how to fight. He couldn't be there in person, so thankfully he wrote it down and we get to be the beneficiaries that listen in. Today we're going to have an kind of a reminder about what this book is about, because if we don't understand the context, we feel like we're just kind of dropping in in the middle of the movie. But this helps us to understand why and what this book is about, the historical context. It lets us know that, first of all, Paul and Barnabas came to Ephesus, and they, they excuse me, on their first missionary journey, they came to the town of Lystra, where a man named Timothy lived, who may have been at that time only a teenager. While they were in Lystra, here were Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Paul is speaking, and as he is speaking, all of a sudden he intently begins to look at somebody in the audience. This man was lame. He had been lame from birth. He had never walked. And as Paul was speaking, you stand up, on your feet. At that, the man began to jump up, and he started to walk. When the crowd saw this, all of a sudden, this is all at Lister, this is where Timothy lived. When the crowd saw this, they began to say, are the gods, the gods have been... They called Barnabas Zeus, and they called Paul Hermes. 
ran off to get bulls and wreaths, and they were coming to sacrifice Artemis, claiming them to be God. Tore their clothes, and they rushed out into the crowd, and they started saying, friends, why are you doing this? We are, we are human beings just like you are. They're insistent. Everything that they explained as they talked about Jesus Christ had done, the fact that Jesus, no matter what they said, they would not have their minds changed, and they kept on trying to sacrifice to them until the Jews from Antioch and Iconium showed up. This is such a great transition. Just when you heard me talk about this great attempt to sacrifice to Paul, changes in one verse, verse 9. Then the Jews came from Antioch. Everybody is calling out to them. Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowd over the city. Can you imagine change? Just like that, they stoned him, they drug him outside of the city, thinking that he was dead, scriptures say. Paul immediately stood up with his disciples into the city, and the next day they left for Derby. Speculation is that Timothy became a Christian that day. During that time, we're telling them about who Jesus Christ was. Then we move to the second missionary journey. We move down the timeline. And Paul is now with Silas. You remember that they had this conflict between the context so we can better understand First Timothy. Paul and Barnabas had gone on the first missionary journey, then on the second missionary before they started, they got into conflict because John Mark had abandoned them on the first attempt, and so Barnabas wanted to bring him again, give him a second chance. Paul said, and so he picked, he picked Silas instead, and then they went back to Lystra. And it says in, in Acts chapter 16, and this is how the story begins to convo, uh, converge together. It says the disciple was named Timothy, who lived there, and his mother was Jewish and a believer, but, her fa but his father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra spoke well of him. And Paul wanted to take him along to be kind of for John Mark, and that's exactly what took place. And so here is missionary journey. He goes to a revival service, he gets saved, and on the second missionary journey, he joins Paul to go out and to share the gospel with the world. This is all going to tie together. Well, as a part of their journey, they came to a city called Ephesus. Ephesus was the capital city in Asia. It was the fourth largest city in the world. It had a population of about 250, twice, more than twice the size of Beaumont. They worshipped the goddess of fertility, Artemis, who was also called Diana, known as the dog Zeus. It was a, trading, a major trading center. It was a it's seven miles inland. For all of those who are so concerned about the travesties of the world, this used to be a seaport. One of the seven world wonders of the ancient world. This city would set aside one month per year to completely immerse themselves in pagan revelry. Stop their jobs. Everybody goes on vacation for a month. Festival of debauchery. I've heard about that. Ephesus was Hollywood, 
Vegas Strip, Wall Street, and the French Quarter all rolled up into one. It was made of so much marble that you could literally hurt your eyes and figuratively blinding. So how did a church end up in a place like that? We find out in the book of Acts, Acts chapter uh, 19, a whole chapter talks about this incredible story of this church. Paul was there, and he found some disciples. As he began to talk with them about the Holy Spirit, and wanted to know if they'd received the Holy Spirit, they said, we don't even know what you're talking about. They had been baptized under the baptism of John for repentance. And so Paul began to explain to them what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and Savior, that he is our Savior and Lord. He, first of all, was a synagogue, and he began to share there and to teach them. And he did that for three months until the Jews said, we've had enough, we don't want to hear. So Paul left. He went to a lecture hall. And he was there for two years. This is the longest place that Paul would stay uh, in one of the cities that he visited. And he did some extraordinary miracles. You've seen TV preachers with the handkerchiefs, right? Yes, because Paul, people would take the handkerchiefs that Paul had, would simply give those to the sick people and those who were ill, and they would be healed. And the Jews were going crazy. They needed something to kind of compete with this. And so the seven sons of Sceva, you've read about that, it's in, it's in the city of Ephesus. The seven sons of Sceva decided, we will do what Paul is doing. So they try to drive out evil spirits from this demoniac. And as they began to call out for these evil spirits to come out, the evil I know, and Paul I know, but we have no idea who you are. And the evil spirits, guys and completely overtakes them, beats them, and strips them out embarrassed and shamed. As the people worship Diana and Artemis, all rolled into one, the fertility goddess, the daughter of Zeus, supposedly, there is this great disturbance because there's a guy named Demetrius. You following with me? A little bit? We're in Ephesus, okay? It is about to take place, just to tip the scales here. This guy named Demetrius is a silversmith. And he's the guy that kind of silversmiths all of these shrines to this fertility goddess that everybody worships. He says, guys, we've been making a great income from this. Truth is, we've been making a killing. This is a super IPO, and we don't want to lose it. But this guy, Paul... He's leading all of these people, it says in Scripture, quote, they leading them astray and is robbing her of her divine majesty. Well, all of a sudden, everybody is a silversmith. Yes, you're right. This is wrong. And so they rush into the Colosseum, and for two straight hours, they are screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The Bible tells us, that most of the people there didn't even know why they were there. But everybody's just screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They have drugged some of Paul's companions in there, and they're trying to kill them. And finally, the city clerk stands up in Ephesus in the Colosseum and says, folks, we got to stop. 
We are in so much trouble. If this continues, we might lose all of our authority and everything is going to go south. And he finally dismisses the assembly. That's the craziness of Ephesus. Does that sound familiar? I've heard of a few cultures kind of like that. Even lived in one for the last 64 years. Right in the middle of all this insanity, about 20 years after. And then about 15 years later, you roll it up about 35 years after Jesus had been resurrected, Paul put Timothy there. By this, this time, he's no longer young. In addition to that, Timothy would later be followed by a guy named John the Apostle to become the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So what I'm trying to do is get you thinking a little bit more than just... This is 1 Timothy. It is a book written by Paul who founded a church in Ephesus, writing it to Timothy, who is the pastor of this church in Ephesus, which is a very debased city. Powerful, influential, but so far from God. And John would become the pastor later on, and then, of course, he would write back to them from the Isle of Patmos. And that's where we pick up the historical relevance. So we think about this. Some of it was interesting. Uh, you're not the best. But we go to Revelation chapter 2, and, and we see the story continue, and that's why it's so important to have the entire... Because Paul... which is a, a city that's so far from God. And then there's this pastor named Timothy. About the, the information, the counsel that he gives Timothy, we're going to eavesdrop on that godly counsel. And then we're going to roll the timeline down, and we're going to see what happens to that church later on as Jesus responds back to Ephesus later, about three decades later. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your perseverance, good things, right? I know that you cannot even tolerate wicked people. They live right in the middle of a whole culture of wicked people. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. I'm false. Because part of what was happening is, in places like this, when a church would rise up and people would see that there's prophecy, you can have influence among the church, false teachers would come in. So here's Jesus' writings, and you've even held up among false teachers. You persevered and endured hardship. Riot in which they were trying to eliminate the Christian influence from the very beginning. And you have not grown weary. There is such a statement to be said of those who do not in the journey of following Christ. I hold this against you. How could God have anything that is lived out like that? But he says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. That love that sustained you. But now you've fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. Whoever has ears, let him hear. It's a calling back. It's a wooing back the church of Ephesus. So friends, as we go through 1 Timothy, we're going to see a church 
at Ephesus by Paul in the middle of total chaos and debauchery. And then we're going to see a man named Timothy take over as and Paul is going to feed him godly counsel. And then we're going to roll the timeline down and see that 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 counsel was abandoned and they've lost their faith. reminds us that we must always sound doctrine, love for one another, being a doctrinally indispensable, but we cannot lose our first love for Christ. So as we go through this book, I want you to hear the central theme of it. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Here's Paul. He had been wanting to come. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions that if I am delayed, you will know how people in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar. What we will see as we eavesdrop on godly counsel is this guidance that helps us to live and behave as God ordains, to live and love like Christ, as we saw last week. Guards. That's what we will be looking at in the weeks to come. Jane Russell was the thrill of Hollywood in the 1940s. She just about destroyed her life as a teenager became pregnant and had an abortion. She nearly died. In desperation, she thought back on what her mother so oftentimes told her. She would say, the commands of God are like guardrails, safeguards, not to restrict you. What we will see in the coming weeks is these guardrails that God and the churches that are given to us to protect us to live the life of abundance that Jesus Christ has promised. And if you look at your life and you feel, I wish that I could be a difference, would you hear this great word of affirmation? From Ephesus in this city in which he saw people change from those that were so far from God that were following hard after God. And he would write to those at Corinth from Ephesus the words of 1 Corinthians that anybody can change. Do you know that change through Christ? Do you know that God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him? Friend, you are loved, and God cherishes and wants to have a relationship with you. But that doesn't just automatically happen, because we can say, fine, that's great. The problem is we have sin, and our sinfulness is the holy God. It is worse than we can ever imagine, and that's why Jesus Christ came. Every time we look to the cross, we're reminded of the seriousness of our sin. If our sin wasn't that serious, would we really need a Savior to die on the cross like that? But thankfully, Jesus did come to make us right with God. But that doesn't just automatically happen either. 
we have to humbly repent of our sins, meaning that we turn away from following our sins and we turn to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It means that we fully surrender our life to him, as we sang about earlier, fully surrendering our life to him. If you've never done that, I would invite you to join. Tell me about the person that you have just shared the gospel with this last week. Pray for them. The person that you've been sharing with over the last few months. The person that you've been praying for over the last several years. And if you're not, use this as an opportunity to say, God, would you give me a burning desire to share the safeguards and the guardrails of your word with others? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have as a church family to, to walk through these books together and to be reminded of the godly counsel that flowed through the pen of Paul into the life of Timothy and now spills over into our lives two millennia later. Thank you that you love us so much that you've established guardrails and safeguards that help us to experience the bondage of sin. Lord, we know that there may be somebody in this room or listening online that has never experienced the transformation of entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. May have heard about it, may have thought about it, but I pray that today would be the day in which they recognize I desperately need Christ. And that they would voice similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. All that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, thank you for the gospel of which the great message that you have come to rescue, that there is hope for those who follow after Christ. Lord, make us lighthouses of this great word to all the ourselves as Christians here today wondering when the last time it was we told someone about the love of Christ. That we would share it everywhere we go. Teach us through this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like you need to make some kind of commitment this morning, maybe to receive Christ, maybe to have someone to pray with you, maybe to join the church. Maybe we need to be baptized. You saw the baptisms of with my life. We'd invite you to do that. Each one of these aisles, I'll be standing over at the cross. You can come. We'll pray with you. We'll guide you in direction. We'll give you. A, also, I know that there's a communication card just like this in front of you. You can fill that out. Put your phone number on there. Leave it in the atrium at the communication center with us, and we'll be in touch. Let's stand together. Let's worship and let's respond.
we have a bit now, so members, if you would just be leave if you need to. You can be seated. This is going to be a really brief uh, business meeting. If you have not received an agenda or a packet, those are located at the doors. You can